This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Hermanson robs Jacare of his elusive middleweight title shot. Rory McDonald admits he may no longer have the same killer instinct. One championship will only negotiate with certified agents. Greg Hardy earns his first UFC victory. And 11 Canadians will be competing this weekend at UFC Fight Night Ottawa. We will have a full preview right here, including interviews with Cole Smith and Walt Harris, who compete on the card. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa or to the podcast. Please tell your friends, review the show, and subscribe. And we appreciate any listener feedback you may have. So if you have anything you want to send to us, you can send me a message at Aaron Bronstetter. And you can send Joe a message at Bazooka Joe V on Twitter, which is where we can be reached. However, Joe cannot be reached today, although he can. He's just not here to uh, record the podcast for this particular week. UFC Fight Night in Ottawa. Uh, a great card if you're interested in the different Canadians that are on the rise here in the UFC. We've got a lot of them, and the new one was just added to the card, which we will get to a little bit later on. But uh, let's start off with UFC in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The BBNT Center. As Jack Hermanson, as John Anik uh, says on Twitter, they asked Jack how it's pronounced, and it's pronounced Hermanson. Never doubt the pronunciation of a last name, if John Anik is saying it. That is the dumbest thing you can do. It's like when that guy on Twitter asked the Jays for a source. Somebody tweeted this at John Anik. Asked the Jays for, for the source of their story, and the Jays was like, the source is us, the Blue Jays. So, yes, don't, don't doubt John Anik. And... Um, Jack Hermanson robs the Joker. He robs Jacques Array of that elusive middleweight title shot. And I had a conversation with some colleagues here, uh, Mike Beauvais and Ken Rodney, who work at the TSN.ca and are big fans of the UFC, whether Jacques Array is perhaps the best fighter that kept getting to the title eliminators but never got that title shot, the best guy to never get a title shot. And, you know, we talked about how Michael Bisping was the best guy to never win a championship before he, of course, won a championship by beating Luke Rockhold at a point in his career where people thought he was not going to be able to do it. And then you look at a guy like Donald Cerrone who got to a title shot against Rafael Dos Anjos but was unsuccessful. Jacques Array has never gotten a title shot in the UFC. It's pretty crazy. Former Strikeforce champion. And uh, gets to the UFC and keeps getting right there but is unable to cross the finish line when it comes to actually earning the title shot. This looked like it was going to be a gimme for him, a layup, according to a lot of people. Jack Hermanson, a month ago, unranked. Gets into the title shot with Jacques Array. Jacques Array, a pretty sizable favorite for the most part. And Hermanson puts in the work, wins three of the five rounds, four of the five rounds, depending on whose scorecard you're looking at. And uh, quite clearly wins those rounds. And Jacques Array, unfortunately, might have to walk into the sunset without getting the title shot, which is a, a real tragedy because Jacques Array is an elite mixed martial artist, one of the best submission practitioners in UFC history, one of the best jiu-jitsu credentials of any fighter to ever be in the UFC, and uh, he's kept falling short. Had that fight against Romero, which I believe was a split decision. I'll have to go back and look at that. Lost to Gastelum by decision. I think that was also a split decision. Let's take a look at let's take a look at uh, Jacques Array's record here. I'm going to pull it up uh, just so I can make sure that I'm on the right page here. But uh, yeah, against Romero, split decision loss was supposed to be facing Romero at this particular card, but Romero suffered an illness and was unable to fight. Loses to uh, Robert Whitaker back in 2017. Gets back into the mix 2018. Loses a split decision to Gastelum. Knocks out Weidman late last year. Back in business against Hermanson. Says he'll take the short notice fight against Hermanson if he is going to be guaranteed a title shot. The UFC says, yes, you're guaranteed a title shot if you beat Jack Hermanson and he falls short. Terribly disappointing for Jacques Array. And you look at all of his career losses. Aside from his... Professional debut against Jorge Patino, where he lost by knockout in the first round of the first ever jungle fight card. But uh, lost to Musasi in the first round in Dream in uh, one of the craziest knockouts ever. I remember watching that fight and being like, whoa! Up kick knockout from Jacques Array. A loss that he would eventually avenge in the UFC some six years later, almost to the date. Um... Had a no contest uh, with Jason Mayhem Miller 
but that has not a loss. Loss by unanimous decision to Rockhold when he was the Strikeforce middleweight champion. Never ended up getting that rematch, which was one that a lot of people wanted to see. Lost by split decision to Romero four years later after the loss to Rockhold. Lost to Whitaker under two years later by head kick with punches, technical knockout. And then that split decision lost to Kelvin Gastelum a year after that. And now a loss to Jack the Joker. Nearly a year to the day after the loss to Gastelum. Kept getting right there. But doesn't end up crossing that finish line to a title shot in the UFC. As Metallica would say, you know it's sad but true. An eight-time world jiu-jitsu gold medalist. Unreal. And he's unable to do it in the UFC. But, uh, I mean, Jacare is uh, he's 39 years of age, turning 40 at the end of the year. He might uh, have to say that's a wrap in terms of him ever getting another title shot. It's going to take a lot for him to get back into that position. So Jack Hermanson spoils the party and ends up getting a, a fantastic win over Jacare. And uh, he's really starting to enter a renaissance period in his career. 30 years of age, back-to-back losses over, or sorry, wins rather, over uh, Jacare and David Branch. The two best wins of his career by a long shot. So uh, he's right there in the mix for a middleweight champion sh- uh, championship shot after the dust settles, the dust clears. Probably going to need another win to get there, but a great win for him. As the middleweight division starts to open up a little bit, we uh, have Romero versus Costa likely happening by the end of the year. It's a fight that's been discussed for some time. And, of course, you're going to have Adesanya versus uh, Robert Whitaker. And uh, a report, an unconfirmed report surfaced earlier today that that's going to take place in October in Sydney at a 30,000-person stadium. But, uh, again, an unconfirmed report. So we'll see how that ends up playing out. Dana White said it was going to happen. He told me personally it was going to happen in September when I interviewed him uh, after UFC 236. And now the UFC confirms that they will not be going to uh, Australia, at least most, at least not for a pay-per-view most likely, as they announced that uh, they will be holding the first of five bouts, for sorry, five cards rather, in Abu Dhabi. All of which, according to reports, will include a title shot. I'm not sure if that was in the press release or not, but that's what Ariel Hawani wrote going to uh, include a title shot, or a title fight, rather, for the, for the next five years in Abu Dhabi, which means they'll almost all likely be pay-per-views. So uh, deal with the uh, Abu Dhabi, I believe, tourism board to bring the UFC to Abu Dhabi for the next five years, the first of which will likely be between Poirier and Khabib Nurmagomedov, knock on wood, as long as there's no injuries or uh, you know changes of, changes of heart, depending on what happens with Tony Ferguson, but likely going to be Poirier versus... Khabib Nurmagomedov in Abu Dhabi this September as the headliner. It makes me wonder what time they're going to do it. Are they going to do it in Abu Dhabi time? Because what time is it? And let's take a look at what time it is in Abu Dhabi right now. So Abu Dhabi is eight hours ahead of Eastern time. So in September, if that card starts at 10 p.m. Eastern, that's going to be 6 a.m. in Abu Dhabi, which would mean the card would have to take place overnight. And given that I believe that's a dry region... I don't know if they're allowed to have events that late in the evening, but uh, they could always hold the pay-per-view at 10 o'clock local time, which would be 2 in the afternoon, Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, which is what I, I think would be the likely thing to happen in terms of the timing for that particular event. So that's uh, UFC in Fort Lauderdale, which also featured the uh, first win of Greg Hardy's career in the UFC. A win over Dmitry Smolyakov. Two minutes and 15 seconds into the first round. And Dana White comes out after the event and says, I don't know where, they, where we found this guy. I'd like to see the nine guys that this guy beat. They might be in this room right now. Said at the uh, press conference after the fact. Well, we know two of them weren't because two of them were in the UFC. We can recognize those individuals. But uh, now uh, a loss to Greg Hardy for Smolyakov. And uh, Greg Hardy comes out after words in the press conference and says, this is going to make Bo Jackson look like a joke. Him being a multi-sport athlete playing in the NCAA for basketball. Pro, all pro defensive end in the NFL and now fighting in the UFC. At what's supposed to be the highest level. So we'll see what kind of individuals Hardy ends up facing in the UFC. You might see him against like a Cyril, uh, Cyril Asker or maybe a Yar- Yarius Danho. 
next, some of the lower tier heavyweights in the UFC right now that uh, they might match Hardy up with in the future, but who knows? Mike Perry with a good win over Alex Oliveira, fight of the night, very entertaining fight. Alex Oliveira nearly gets finished, waves in Mike Perry while smiling, and Mike Perry just tees off on the guy. But uh, Mike Perry ended up winning a decision there over Oliveira, the best win of his career, most likely. Glover Teixeira weathers a, a big spinning back fist, or was it spinning elbow? I think it was a spinning back fist in the first round. It might have been spinning elbow. Spinning attack. I can't remember offhand what it was. Uh, gets knocked down by Kudalaba, who almost finishes him, comes back in the second round, ends up submitting Kudalaba. Glover Teixeira still looking good late in his career. And then, of course, uh, a fight that a lot we're talking about, which was the Corey Sanhagen against John Lineker. Sanhagen ends up scoring a split decision win, a controversial split decision win. It wasn't on my cards. I thought that Sanhagen might have won all three rounds. Oh, sorry. I had Sanhagen winning the first two rounds and Lineker winning the third round. But uh, a very, very uh, solid performance by Corey Sanhagen, making a name for himself uh, as if he hadn't already. I mean, this was nearly an even-money fight. People had a lot of faith in Sanhagen going into this one, but he's put himself on the map. He's going to be ranked likely in the top 10 this week. So a big win for him. And a big win for me, my, th- my three-leg parlay against Joe. Cashed in, plus 261. Joe t- took Ben Saunders, suffered a loss at the hands of Takashi Sato. Gets knocked down and finished in the second round with a nice left from, S- from Sato. And I had a uh, three-leg parlay. Greg Hardy, Roosevelt Roberts, and Corey Sanhagen, plus 261. And I'm back in this thing now. I'm 25 or so dollars behind Joe. So there you go. Back in business. But uh, that wasn't the only card going on that night. You also had Bellator 220, where it looked like John Fitch was on the verge of perhaps winning the welterweight title and advancing in the welterweight tournament. Ends up getting a 48-46 decision on one card, or at least a 48-46 scorecard, and then two draws. So as a result of that, of the tournament rules, Rory McDonald advances to the next round, retains the title with a majority draw. But the most compelling part of that win, or I guess not really win, but the most compelling part of him advancing was his post-fight speech where he talks about, and of course if you listen to the uh, TSN MMA show from March 27th, if you haven't, you should go back and listen to it because we delved pretty deep with Rory McDonald into his uh, reborn, him being a reborn Christian, his renewed faith, and uh, how he has inner conflict in terms of what it means to go into the oct- or sorry, go into... Uh, a fight and and try to, you know, impose his will on somebody and hurt somebody. And the inner conflict that he's facing from his religion in terms of, you know, what that means and why that might be difficult for him. And uh, I think that Saturday Night was an example of that. You know, he looked good in the the fight at times, but for him to be in a close fight with John Fitch at this stage of his career or both, you know, this stage of both of their careers really shows that Rory might not be the same Rory. And he said that afterwards. He said, um, after the fight, you know, maybe I just don't have the same desire to hurt another human being. And, you know, I spoke to God during this fight. And uh, it was a very, very compelling post-fight speech. And that uh, got me, I guess, on my soapbox on social media on Sunday when I saw a lot of people being really disappointed in Rory McDonald and saying, oh, this guy's done. Can't do it anymore. He doesn't have the same killer instinct. You know, he's he he. This isn't the same Rory McDonald. R- Robbie Lawler took his soul. All of this stuff. But we don't own Rory McDonald. We don't own any athlete. And commodification is a very very serious problem in sports as a whole. We feel like we have ownership over these individuals. We feel like we we have basically taken the humanity away from them. They are not humans. They are people that are put here for our entertainment, for us to get entertainment from, for us to be, you know, and and their worth as a person is only what they bring to us, only what, you know, and that's commodification at its core. Commodification is that we take these individuals and we place their value on how they perform in their particular arena their particular sport, or even as actors. You know, if, if if you look at Hollywood, actors and actresses, you know, if they have a stinker of a movie, a movie that critics say is no good, 
We say they're, you know, they're not a good actor. They did a poor job. And we, we, we diminish their stock. But that's not for us to do. You know, th- these are people that are, are putting their health on the line every day, whether it be in basketball or, or hockey or soccer. You know, their bodies are being put on the line for our entertainment. They work towards these moments day after day after day. And just because we pay money or take our time to watch what they do to enjoy their craft and to cheer for somebody or to expect have expectations of how they're going to perform that night and they don't meet our expectations, we get all upset. Oh, I bet money on this guy. Or, oh, I thought that this guy was better than this. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe just on that night they weren't. But for us to boo them or for us to put down their performance... You know why? What? 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 Why should we be doing that? Because we paid. Because we we took our time to watch them. That's not what sport is. That's not what sportsmanship is. That's not what sporting is. Sport is a competition. Sport is people that have worked hard at a particular athletic endeavor. And right now on the television in front of me on NBC Sportsnet is a it's a marathon race between. Uh, some some female athletes that are trying to have the best school time at a marathon. And, you know, if they finish in last place, how do you think they feel? They've been working all year to get to this one marathon. How do you think Rory McDonald felt after that particular matchup? Think he felt good about his performance? John Fitch was pumping his fist. He thought he had won. Rory McDonald looked disappointed. Although many people thought that Rory did win that particular matchup. If you go to MMA decisions, it was pretty much split. And I don't think, uh, I don't know how many people actually, uh, there aren't, weren't that many that had it a draw, if any. But, you know, how do you think they felt about their performance? And we have the uh, ability to get on social media right away and critique it and say, oh, you know, this guy's done. This guy doesn't have it anymore. You know, even with Jacare losing to Hermanson, I came, out, I came on the show, whatever, minutes ago and said, it looks like the, you know, that he's not going to be able to win a title now. Looks like the door's closing. But you know what? He's 40 years old. And if he gets back in the gym and he works hard and he polishes off his skills and he gets better, maybe he has a better night next time. Maybe he does get back to a title shot. Maybe he gets a rematch with Gastelum and beats him and then gets, gets to a title shot again. Maybe he gets there. Who am I to say the door's closed? I can give my opinion, sure. What does it mean? I shouldn't be able to determine what Jacques Ray's worth is. I mean, as an athlete, you can look at it, and you can look at the standings, and you can look at the rankings, and you can look at uh, you know how he's done in certain bouts. But you know, I, I it doesn't give me the right to say, "Oh, this guy's done." Maybe he's not done. Maybe he can bounce back and get another title shot. Maybe Rory's mindset can change. Maybe Rory can find a way to get rid of that inner conflict. You know, Faraz Zahavi was on uh, Ariel Hawani's show today and said he thinks that there's still a lot left in the tank for Rory, that Rory's, you know, Rory's incredible at fighting. And anybody who says otherwise that he's not incredible at fighting, I mean, you've just never go, you obviously haven't been watching the same fights as everyone else. But Rory McDonald might find a way to, find, to build a coexistence between his Christian beliefs and the ability to compete in mixed martial arts in a way where the two can coexist. And he can be the same Rory McDonald that we saw beat up you know, Robbie Lawler up until that fifth round, for the most part. We can see the same Rory McDonald that tossed Nate Diaz around like a sack of flour. We can see the Rory McDonald that got to a title fight. We can see the Rory McDonald that became a champion in Bellator. Maybe Rory McDonald just needs to work on himself more. I mean, we all work on ourselves 24 hours a day. We're, we're trying to become better people. We're trying to evolve as people. We're trying to do what we think is best for our family, best for ourselves. We're trying to do what it, what it takes to survive in some, you know, in some situations. How to get by. How to get the things that we want. How to help people. We all have different goals. We all have different beliefs. No two people are the same. No two people are great at the same thing. 
Could I go out there and do what what Rory McDonald does? Not a not a chance. Not a, even if I started at age five. There's no way I'd be as athletically gifted naturally as a Rory McDonald. There just isn't. We all have limitations. And what Robbie was sorry, what Rory McDonald needs to try to do is get past those limitations. Because right now he's got a limitation on whether he can do what he used to do and still believe in what he believes in. Because those two things didn't coexist at some point in time. At some point in time, you know, and he told me this during, during our interview, that he was heading down a, a reckless path. He was heading down a bad path. And, you know, he ended up ha- having a child and ended up with somebody who turned him on to Christ and, and his beliefs. And now he, and he's still new to this. He's been doing mixed martial arts or martial arts in some facet for more than half of his human life on this planet. He's 29 years old. He started competing at 16. Maybe he was in the gym at age 10, 11. Who knows? More than half of his life has been dedicated to this part of his life. The other part of his life, family man, husband, father, religious individual, pious individual, whatever it is, this is new. Rory still has his training wheels on in this part of his life. But in terms of fighting, that's what he's known. That's, that's, that's instinct now. He still has those fighting instincts. I mean, if, if his heart wasn't in that fight, if his mind was elsewhere at the time, he still arguably won that fight. Just on instinct, just on skill alone. Why don't we look at that? Why don't we think of it that way? This is a guy who overcame a huge mental barrier going into that fight thinking, maybe I just can't hurt this guy as much as I'd like to. Maybe I can't do this the same way that I want to or the same way I was able to in the past. Maybe my Maybe something moral inside of me or something is telling me that this just isn't right anymore. This might not be right for me. That can change. Or it might not. Maybe he retires. Maybe he says, this just isn't for me anymore. I'm a new person now. I can't do both of these things. And we need to accept that. He doesn't owe us anything. In fact, he's probably given us more than he owed us in the first place. Gave us some of the best fights ever. That Rory, Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler will for a long time be in the top 10 fights of all time. Believe that. But Rory McDonald is his own person. And we need to accept that. And some people are going to send me messages saying, oh, who says, we did, who says we didn't accept that? Well, there's evidence online that some people are like, well, this guy's done. This guy's not going to win his next fight. The Rory, Law- the Robbie Lawler, sorry, I keep getting Robbie and Rory confused because of how uh, tied in they are with each other. But the Ro- the Rory McDonald that we saw at Bellator 220 might not be the same Rory McDonald we see at MSG against Neiman Gracie if he chooses to accept that fight, or the same Rory McDonald we see when he inevitably does face Neiman Gracie or when he does have his next fight. We need to accept that these people aren't who they are in one night. Why MMA is such a fun sport. What we see from somebody is not the finished product. There is no finished product. You're either getting better or you're declining. But there's no finished product in MMA. Martial arts is there's a spectrum. There's some people that are great at all areas of mixed martial arts, and there are some that are great at one area that they're able to excel in. We have to remember that who we saw on Saturday night with with Rory McDonald, he could be twice as good next time out. He's 29 years old. Or he might walk away. But but it's not for us to decide. Like we we tend to put to have own to think that we have ownership over these guys and their careers. We we think we know them. We think we know how how good they're going to be on any given night. We don't. We have no idea. Absolutely no idea. I saw a lot of people think Dmitry Smolyakov was going to beat Craig Hardy over the weekend. And maybe on another night, Smolyakov might have been a better fighter, might have been able to get that takedown that he tried at the beginning of the fight. Might have been able to land more than one significant strike. These are things that we need to keep in mind going forward. That the person that we see on any given event is not necessarily the same person. Look at Gavin Tucker, for example. Gavin Tucker, people thought he, he might be the next Dominic Cruz. He might be the be- the next great Canadian fighter. Then he goes out, gets beaten badly by Rick Glenn. And he hasn't fought since. He got injured badly. He suffered a lot of injuries. 
It's a one-sided affair. But that doesn't mean that Gavin Tucker wasn't having a bad night, that Gavin Tucker can't come back and be a great Canadian, be one of the best ever. Who knows? He's still young. These are just things that we need to consider, I think. That's all. I'll get off my soapbox now. But that's, that's the thought that I was having on Sunday when I was thinking about Rory and thinking about... And, you know, I, I feel like I connected with Rory during that interview. I feel like that interview that I had done with, with Rory was a new side of Rory that I've just never seen him open up about before. A part that he was very passionate about, that he had a lot of very strong feelings about, that he was very introspective about. When you used to talk to him about fighting, he, he was never that introspective about it. He never really elaborated. He was always pretty honest, but, you know, he, he, you, you could tell that he never really liked the whole drama, drama of the sport. He loved competing and he loved being great at it, but he was never that about feuds or drama. But this part of his, his life, his religion, his family, he's passionate, strongly passionate about, deeply passionate about. So for us to, to think that that's bad, that he, that maybe that made him a worse fighter, I mean, shame on us. Let him live his best life. Let him live his family life. Let him enjoy going to church. Let him bask in his religion. That's his decision. If you're an atheist, that's your decision. If you, if you, if you say there's no God, I don't believe in this. That's for you to decide. Doesn't mean you're right or wrong. You could say, well, there's, look at all the science. Well, they call it faith for a reason. It's faith because you believe in something that there is no evidence exists. You're taking a leap of, leap of faith. That's what faith is. So for you, to, for you to come out and say, well, I don't believe in this because there's no evidence. That's fair. But don't chastise somebody because they believe in something, because they have faith in something. A lot of people get a lot of, a lot of happiness out of their faith. And a lot of people get a lot of anger out of their faith. Faith is a conflicting thing. And that those conflicting things about faith are what's conflicting Rory McDonald right now. When he's in the cage, he's, think, he's conflicted about hurting somebody, hurting another man. We need to respect that. That's all I'm saying. That, that's the last word I'll have on Rory McDonald. That's, uh, I'll get off my, again, I'll, I'll get off of the subject now, but I'm very passionate about the fact that we need to respect these people as human beings. That they're not just there for our entertainment. That they have lives outside of this. I talked to Walt Harris later in this show. He's got four kids. Like We don't think about that. We think, well, what's Walt Harris going to do against uh, Sergei Spivak? Who's Sergei Spivak? What's his deal? And if Sergei Spivak loses 30-25 in all three rounds, we say, ah, oh, this guy doesn't belong in the UFC. But how do we know that? We don't know that. Let's see how he performs the next time out. Let's have faith that the guy's going to improve as a human being. Let's root for him to improve as a human being. We should root for all of these individuals to improve as human beings, to improve as, as fighters. This is, this is their li- lives. This, this, like, think of how hard it is to be an elite athlete to get to the UFC, to compete at the highest, absolute highest level in a particular field, not just the sport, anywhere. What I do for a living, I'm one of very few people that get to report on the sport as a full-time job for the most part. I, mean, I still do some other stuff here at, at uh, TSN, but... Like, I'm, I'm among a very select group of people that gets to do this for a living, that's earned that opportunity. I sure hope people aren't rooting for me to fail. I know that there are some people that call me out and, you know, they're, they're on social media and they either disagree with something I've written or think that I'm wrong about something or whatever. It is what it is. We all are entitled to our opinions. And I always try to remember that as well. Like, you know, if somebody's... I can tell if somebody's going out of their way to hurt my feelings. And if they are, I'll mute them. I'm not interested in them. But if somebody says, I don't think you're right about this, you know, sometimes I'll just let that be or I'll respond to them and say, why? But uh, every athlete that we saw at UFC Fort Lauderdale, these are people that are at the absolute elite of the elite in their sport. Think of how many, go to Tapology and look at how many events there are every single weekend in this sport. And look at the names, and you haven't heard of 95% of them most, for the most part, no matter how interested in MMA you are. There are, there are. there are a ton of people trying to get into the UFC. Are you kidding? There are thousands of people right now that want to be UFC fighters. And we're criticizing people because they didn't have a great performance on one night? Look at where they've gotten. They should be proud of themselves. You know, Joe says a lot of fighters have very thin skin and that they, they don't like being criticized. 
Well, think about it. They, they've worked their whole lives to get here, and people are criticizing them because they had one bad outing or they had a bad round or they got caught with something. Okay, now I'm really going to move on. Thanks for listening to, uh, to my diatribe. As I'm about to go on another one, one championship has decided that they are only going to negotiate with certified one championship approved agents. Wow. Think about that for a second. This is what Ch- uh, Chatri Sichudong, who's the uh, head of one championship, said. Effective immediately, one championship has strengthened its agent certification to global standards, similar to those of top global sports media properties in the world, such as NFL and MLB. Unfortunately, some one athletes have been victims of theft by their agents and slash or managers. In order to create a safer, happier, and healthier environment for our athletes, all agents and or managers wishing to work with one athletes will need certification by one championship. The one agent certification was originally created to establish uniform standards of eligibility and conduct for all agents, managers, and or advisors seeking to work with one athletes. Only agents and or managers who have received certification by one championship will be allowed to work with one athletes. And then a a press release came out earlier today that was outlining that, and there were some stipulations in there that the agent has to have lived in in Asia for a year. Uh, You know... All kinds of different stipulations about it. No prior criminal record. No history or current ongoing matters of legal or lawsuit activity with any athlete. A minimum of 10 years of related experience in the martial arts industry. 10 years! What is it, 20? 10 years? Do you know how how young this sport is? Must possess a college or university degree. Well, University of Phoenix is pretty easy to get a degree in. Go online. But what do they need a degree in? What if they have a university degree in like, or a college degree in like culinary arts? Does that, does that count? So now these guys are dependent contractors. Not independent contractors, but dependent contractors. They are dependent of ha- on having agents that have lived in Asia or currently live in Asia or have lived in Asia for a year, have a university or college degree, are not involved in any sort of lawsuits. What happens if a, guy, a guy's dog got run over by somebody and they sued them? They're in court. Are they ineligible to be an agent for, for one championship? And people talk about these, you know, all these, all of these fighters needing to form a union and to 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 collectively bargain. And this is why. Why would why do they have to be certain? Like, why do one have the right to tell people who manages or oversees their career? Isn't that worse than a guy who might you know have have cheated somebody out of their money if they're an independent contractor they have it's on them to find the right representation it's not on the promotion i i just think it's baffling like why are you putting yourself in a position of disadvantage when you're trying to negotiate with athletes who want to join your organization i sometimes the decision that one championship make i, I just, they just blow my mind i don't know I still need to get out and check out one of their events or something. Man, maybe I'm missing something. I've watched a lot of their events, and they're, they're, a lot of them are spectacular. A lot of them are good. A lot of them aren't worth watching. It goes for any promotion. There's some cards are great, some cards aren't. But uh, that that's just very odd to me. May as well call them de- dependent contractors. Why are you stopping people from wanting to sign with your organization? Very, very, very odd. Very, very, very odd. Well, anyhow, UFC is in Ottawa this weekend. 11 Canadians on the card. Love seeing that. And a great main event. Ally Akinta versus Donald Cerrone. And I looked on Ticketmaster, and there's not a whole lot of tickets left, but they did open some new ones. If you're looking for tickets, they they opened a couple of little blocks in the on the floor in the 100 level. Those tickets weren't there before. And they've also got a lot of uh, seats left in the upper deck if you're looking to, to show up. But uh, it's a very big arena and good on them. They've sold uh, a lot of uh, good on the folks in Ottawa who have bought tickets to this event because uh, it's at a bigger arena and the event's probably not quite as good as the last one was. But uh, Ally Akinta versus Donald Cerrone in the main event, a very, very solid main event. And one where I'm really not sure what's going to happen. I, you know, I, I lean Al. I think that Al has um, just the skills that can neutralize Cerrone, but... A lot of people have already counted Cerrone out, and I think that's a, a you know a very unwise thing to do. I'll tell you what I'm not looking forward to, and that's interviewing Donald Cerrone after the weigh-in. There's no there's no ceremonial weigh-in, so I have to interview him right after the like the official weigh-in. 
Oh, and he's gonna he's gonna hate every second of that. Gonna be 160 pounds at that point in time, maybe. <laughs> if he weighs in early. Around eleven AM. He'll have maybe put on five five pounds. Maybe he'll have maybe he'll be a little bit happier than he would have been if he had to do it right afterwards. If you remember that interview, I think it was with Brett Okamoto that uh, Luke Rockhold did right after weighing in in Australia because they didn't have a ceremonial weigh in. There was the same thing. They did the official and ceremonial at the same time. Oh boy, he looked rough. And I hate talking to fighters when they're in that kind of shape. That kind of condition. It's no no fun. No fun for either of us. They don't want to be interviewed by me and it certainly isn't an easy thing to do to interview somebody who's diminished. But uh, that's going to be a, a fantastic main event. I'm really looking forward to that one. Then you've got the co-main event, Derek Brunson versus Elias Theodoru. And Brunson's a small favorite, but uh, we haven't seen a whole lot out of Derek Brunson lately. And uh, I think Elias has a lot of advantages in this particular bout against Brunson. We're going to see what Derek Brunson still has, what he still has left. Has Elias scored a finish yet? Because if not, this might be a good opportunity for him. But we'll have to see. And then a, a re- pretty recently added fight between Cub Swanson and Shane Burgos. That, that could be the most exciting fight on the card. That's a really, really good matchup. Burgos with a big step up in competition here. The last time he had a step up in competition, he wasn't able to get by his opponent. But uh, he looked great in his last outing. Got dropped early and then came back and won by submission. That was against Kurt Hollibaugh back in November. And then uh, back in last January, he lost to Cal- uh, Calvin Cater. But wins over Charles Rosa, wins over Godofredo Pepe, Kurt Hollibaugh. He's a great fighter. He's big up-and-comer, 28 years of age. And Cub Swanson is going to be a big, big step up for him. Big step up. But uh, Cub Swanson, Shane Burgos, that should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to speaking to both of those gentlemen this week in Ottawa. You can check TSN out. We've got a lot of coverage coming up in Ottawa. I'm going to have a chance to sit down with all 11 Canadians on the card on Wednesday and just chat with them, hear their stories. I'm really greatly looking forward to that. But uh, we have open workouts on Wednesday. If you're in Ottawa, come to Barrymore's at night, open workouts. Thursday, we've got media day. And uh, Arjun Buller is doing his own workout Thursday night out in Canada. Plus, we've got uh, Friday morning, the official weigh-ins. No ceremonial weigh-ins, unfortunately, for this uh, particular fight week. But uh, official weigh-ins Friday morning and then Saturday. It's the event, and it's an early one. Love it. I think it's an 8 p.m. start for the uh, main card. Get out of there around midnight, 1 a.m. Early night for me. Get back to my hotel in Canada and catch some Z's before I drive back to Toronto the next day. Don't hate that. Cub Swanson, surprisingly on a three-fight losing streak, but not surprising when you look at who he fought. Hanato Maikano, Frankie Edgar, Brian Ortega. That's uh, pretty much murderers in a row at, uh, at featherweight. Before that, wins over Duho Choi, Kawajiri, Ar- Artem, Akron Diaz. Has a win over Jeremy Stevens, win over Charles Oliveira. So basically, Cub has lost to the people that he's supposed to lose to and beaten the guys that he's supposed to beat, except I guess he was an underdog against Duho probably, and I, I don't know if he was an underdog against Charles Oliveira. Brad Katona against Marav Dvalishvili. That line has flipped. Katona opened around minus 150, minus 160, that area code. Now he's plus 130, and Marav is minus 150. Katona, the great Canadian hope, undefeated. Remains undefeated. Had a nice win over Matthew Lopez in Toronto. Nearly finished him at the uh, the buzzer, but uh, Lopez saved by the bell. Uh, Sergei Spivak making his debut undefeated against Walt Harris. We're going to talk to Walt Harris. Coming up in just a moment. But Sergei Spivak, the thing that's interesting about him, and I bring this up during the interview uh, that I did with um, Walt Harris, is the uh, amount of combined experience of his opponents. Usually you see a lot of these undefeated guys come in and they've crushed cans. The last guy he beat, Tony Lopez, 61-28-0, and he has a win over Travis Fulton as well. 255-52-10, the immortal Travis Fulton. He has more losses than most guys in the UFC have total fights. 52 losses. Can you imagine winning 255 fights? Unbelievable. I think I've watched 255 fights, but imagine being in 255 fights. Wow. I've definitely watched 255 fights. That's, that's no question. Last three years, I've watched at least 255 fights. At least I would hope so. And I'm sure you would hope so if I'm covering the sport. But uh, Sergey Spivak making his debut. Last fought back uh, last September against Tony Lopez. 
while Terrace uh, had his decision win over Andre Arlovsky overturned recently. So we'll talk about that. Best win of his career. Was supposed to face Alexei Olenek this weekend, but uh, Olenek was rebooked and fought uh, Alistair Overeem last weekend in uh, St. Petersburg in the main event. But uh, Sergei Spivak as the replacement. Don't know too much about him. I'm going to have to go back and watch some of his, uh, his bouts. But uh, let's get to the big ticket, Walt Harris, as he joins us now on the TSN MMA show to discuss his fight with Sergey Spivak here in Ottawa, Ontario on Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. All right, I'm joined now by Walt Harris. So, uh, Walt, we were just talking uh, before we came on the air here about your four-month suspension, which not necessarily a huge deal because it was a contaminated supplement, but your win, the biggest of your career over a former champion, was overturned. How devastating was it to find out that that was going to be the the end result? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was devastating. I mean, it was. I was upset about it, but at the same time, I mean, I know I won that fight, so you know, nobody can take that away from me. I mean, yeah, it's on, it doesn't go on my record; it goes to no contest. But you know, we fought the fight. You know, we know what happens. So. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when Curtis Blades won a fight, and they had to they overturned it because of marijuana to a no contest. I was like, well, I mean, are we really going to take that away from the guy? Right. <laughs> so this guy, Sergio, uh, Sergei uh, Spivak, who you're fighting in uh, Ottawa next weekend, pretty uh, interesting character because often you'll see undefeated guys enter the UFC with these padded records. You know, they're beating these guys that have no wins. But Spivak's combined opponent record is 358, 123, and 10. How insane is that? Uh, excuse me again. I didn't, I didn't catch that last part. So the combined record of the guys that he's fought in his like nine or ten fights is three hundred and fifty-eight, one hundred and twenty-three, and ten. <laughs> that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> did you did you notice that? Did you look at the guys that he's beaten? No, nah, I mean I saw one guy uh, that I recognized, which was Tony uh, Lopez or whatever. Um, you know, but I really didn't pay too much attention to the guys he's fought. You know, um, I know he's a you know tough guy. He's undefeated, so. He's hungry. Um, I'm hungry, so it should be a good fight. Have you done any research on him? What do you know about uh, Sergey? Um, I've done a little bit of research. I watch a little bit of film. I don't tend to watch too much film on my opponents. I mean, I feel like that it become a hindrance if you uh, sit down and just analyze every little thing they do. Um, but yeah, I think he's a tough guy. I mean, he's he's uh, he's young. He's uh he's, he's kind of athletic, so you know it should be a fun fight, man. It's a, it's a very interesting fight for me. This is your first fight in Canada. Um, is, is there anything you're looking forward to uh, to about going to Canada? Is this your first time going to Canada? Putin. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right, well, if you're going to, you're fighting at heavyweight, so you can enjoy the poutine before the fight. Do you plan on doing that, or are you going to wait till after the fight? Uh, I'll probably wait till after. I mean, I eat pretty clean, so um, I don't want to ruin it the week of the fight. Uh, you know, uh, try to keep a little bit of discipline and, and have a little poutine afterwards, for sure. I pitched it to the UFC. I said, I want to go for poutine with, uh, with uh, Juan Adams. And they were like, well, you know, the heavyweights keep, they, they don't just eat whatever they want during fight week. They, you know, they, they are pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty determined to stay healthy. And I was like, yeah, I guess that, I guess that's a good point. Um, yeah. If, if, you, if you go eight weeks eating clean and then the last week of the fight, it kind of does something mentally. You're like, ah, you know, you start feeling kind of bad. So if I have a poutine for you backstage after the fight, if you win, will you indulge? For sure. For sure. I'm definitely going to go with a poutine and a beer. Why not? Well, the problem is it's... Yeah, I'm going to have to see if they sell it in the arena. If they sell it in the arena, I'm going to go and get some poutine and, and get some reactions to those that are from America that haven't tried it before. Because I'm For interested sure. to see. I like seeing the reaction to this. I mean, this is a food that is... I mean, it's, deli- it's delectable. It's a cheese curds, gravy, and fries. It's hard not to like. But people, uh, people react differently to trying it for the first time. Some people think it's gross and some people like it. Um, I, I mean, I've had like a knockoff version of it in America, and I mean, I thought it was pretty good. So I can only imagine the Canadian version is gonna be way better. All right, I'm gonna scout the arena when I get there, and I'll, I'll have some waiting for you. So you have some extra incentive now. It's like a fight, like a, a performance bonus if you're able to beat Sergey. Right, right. Because we don't want to see how he reacts to it. Like I might have to give Sergey the, the boutine. So this is like this is on the line now. <laughs> All right. You'll have to watch a video of Sergey enjoying the poutine backstage if you lose that, and you'll have that in the back of your head during the fight. Facts, but I ain't losing. <laughs> you 
you you juggle four kids with fighting. How are you able to do that? I've got three kids, and I you know I can barely do anything in my spare time. How are you able to maintain that kind of balance? Um, it's hard. I mean, my wife just left. Actually, we just discussing what we're gonna do about the kids. Um, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things, man. It's it's my motivation to to fight. You know, to to do what I do anyway. So, you know, having that uh, you know, that access to my kids during camp, it gives me extra motivation and extra push. Um. And balancing it, I mean, I have a great wife that helps me out a ton, man. I mean, I couldn't do it by myself for sure. So, you know, we just kind of try to look forward to doing things with them. I mean, you know, camp's about being kind of selfish. So when I'm out of camp and I'm done fighting, you know, I, I tend to spoil them a little bit, man, just because, I, you know, I feel like I'm so focused on myself for eight weeks, you know, that I just want to do something for them. At what age do you let them watch your fights? Oh, I mean, my son has been watching since he was three years old. I mean, I had him in the cage at a fight when I was three. I mean, when he was three. So, you know, I don't really try to, um, you know, tell them they can't watch. You know, I, I know they know I fight. My daughter's six, and she's she's very smart. She knows I fight. And, you know, she's even gotten into jujitsu and, you know, boxing and stuff like that. So I just I let them watch. If she wants to watch, she can watch. If she doesn't, that's totally fine, too, you know. Do they get nervous watching you fight? Uh, yeah, I believe they do. I, they don't really tell me. Um, you know, my son is like, he's kind of, he's thir- almost 13. So he's at that stage where, you know, all his friends know I fight and, you know, he's kind of milking that whole situation with his friends and he loves it. You know, um, he always wants to come to the fights. He was actually supposed to come to Canada, but we didn't get his passport in time. So he ain't going to be able to make it to this one. Nah, you got to uh, try to get him a temporary one. He'd, he'd love it here. There's so much to do in Ottawa. There's all these great museums, good architecture. He'd, he'd probably really enjoy it. Yeah, man, I'm excited about that. Man, I can't wait to get up there to go do some of that. I'm a big history buff, so. If you're a history buff, go to the yeah, Canadian War it. Museum. Because I went to the what Canadian War Museum, and I didn't know anything about Like, I, I learned so much that day that you're going to love that. You should go there. The architecture is unbelievable. It's, it's a fairly new museum. You should check it out. Yeah, I definitely will, man, for sure. So uh, Eric Anders, he trains with you in Denver. Uh, oh, sorry, he went and trained in Denver, rather. He normally trains with you in Alabama. Has he been part of this camp for you? Yeah, he has. He has, um. The first four weeks of his camp, we trained together um, every day, and then he went out to Denver to finish up his camp. And um, I was actually with him the fight week, helping him, you know, prep and stuff like that. Oh, so you uh, went out to Denver? Board. Huh? Did you, did you go out to Denver for that? No, I didn't. I didn't okay. go out to Denver, but I stayed. I stayed back, and then I met him out in Atlanta a week early, and we worked out. Okay. And uh, a few weeks, uh, sorry, a few years ago, Eric told a story that he entered the gym with no fighting experience and sparred with you. Tell me about that story. I'm interested in that. Yeah, this is a psycho. So, like, uh, he, he came to my house, like, a week before that, and he was like, hey, man, I want to get into fighting. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, I'll do whatever I can to help you. So he came to the gym one night, and it was, like, on a sparring night. And, I mean, dude had never thrown a punch. And, I mean, he went in there, and we were slugging it out. I was like, this dude's crazy. You know, I knew he had <laughs> to fight. I knew he was going to be a good fighter. From that day, I was like, this dude's got what it takes, you know what I mean? Like, most people that will come in the gym and, like, get in there with me, the first thing they say to me is, take it easy. He didn't say any of that. He didn't – he was just – he bit down his mouthpiece, and he was like, let's go. And I, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever I can do to help him get wherever he needs to go, I'm going to do it. And, you know, that's what we've been doing ever since. Well, he said he used to he used to wrestle guys in the locker room, he said, back when he was playing in Alabama. How did you get to know Eric? How did you meet him that, that would lead him to come to your house and, and tell you he wants to get into the fight game? Well, I, I, we had a mutual friend. Um, I used to coach. Um, so my oldest son, he played youth football in the community, and I always coached him. And his best friend played on the team, and his mom knew Eric, and she, uh, Eric needed a place to stay while he was training. So I guess he stayed with him, and then we kind of became friends and, like, you know, get-together, family get-togethers and stuff. And then he just showed up one night and was like, hey, I want to start fighting. And I was like, let's get it, you know, let's do it. You played basketball at Jacksonville State. Uh, do you, have you been following the NBA playoffs? I sure have, man. Did you see Damian Lillard the other night? That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, he, he goes out there, and it looked like he wanted to take that shot. Like, guys, this is the crazy thing about basketball and the evolution of the sport. Like, 10 years ago, people in practice used to shoot from, like, a couple feet in front of, the half, in front of half court just, like, for fun as a joke. Now guys are practicing. Like, there's almost a four-point line in the NBA yeah, now. Guys, dude, guys are shooting from out there like it's nothing. Yeah, he works on that. Like, you could tell the way he shot it, he had, he had practiced that before. Like, that wasn't luck. You know what I mean? Like, these dudes are, like, when I was playing, man, the, it was, it, you wouldn't even thought about taking that shot. 
he took that shot with the most confidence I've seen of anybody. I mean, he shot that like he was shooting a layup. And, I mean, the kid, the guy is unbelievable, man. Like, since D-Wade's my favorite player of all time, and he retired. And I told my son literally, like, two weeks ago, he was like, Dad, who are you going to support now? And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to support Portland because Damian Lillard. You know, I'm, I've always been a fan of his. I love his story. You know what I mean? I'm always – I like underdog, underdog stories. And that's the exact reason why I love the guy. He's a silent assassin, bro. Like, he, he just goes about his business. He does his job. He doesn't talk trash. He's a good guy, and he wins. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of way I. That's kind of how I carry myself. That's why I familiarize myself with people like Dwayne Wade and and, uh, and Damian Lillard. Man, I mean that dude's he's special, man. Now, him waving at the Oklahoma State, and then sorry Oklahoma City, and then laying down and staring into the cameras like one of the most ice cold moments ever. You should oh, do. You should God. do that if you score a knockout. You should just like, you find the nearest camera and just stare into it. Just stare right into it. Yeah. Like Dame. Yeah, like Dame. For sure. For sure. <laughs> All right, so now you've got two things. I'm adding more things on your mind. I shouldn't be doing this leading up to a fight. Looking into the camera and then e- eating poutine after the fight. Hey, no worries, bro. No worries. <laughs> All right, well, Walt, it was great speaking with you. Uh, I know you're cheering for, for Dame, but hopefully when you're in Canada, you'll be cheering for the Raptors uh, as they embark on uh, a matchup with the 76ers. Um, that will sure. thankfully not be on at the same night as uh, this this Ottawa card, so people in Canada can enjoy it uninterrupted. Right, I know, man. That'd probably be terrible if they're playing on Saturday. We wouldn't get any viewers on. <laughs> All right, well, well, I look forward to meeting you uh, next week in Ottawa, and thanks for doing this. No problem, brother. Thank you. See you soon. That was the big ticket, Walt Harris. That was a fun interview. Hopefully, I can present him with some poutine if he is able to get the win against Sergei Spivak in the nation's capital this weekend. Andrew Sanchez taking on Marc-Andre Berrio. Berrio, two-division TKO champion, making his debut as an underdog against Sanchez. And I learned about Berrio. He uh, actually has a full-time job cooking meals for the elderly in different hospitals in Quebec. So kudos to Marc-Andre Berrio. That's a, a fun little tidbit about him. Didn't know that about him. As he makes his debut against Andrew Sanchez. Uh, Macy Chason, quick turnaround for her. The biggest favorite on the card, minus 650 against Cheesecake, Sarah Morris, who has relocated to Las Vegas, left her job at Canada Post, sorting and delivering mail, and now she's living out at, uh, in Las Vegas. And she's at the Performance Institute all the time, from what I understand. I saw her there last time I was in Vegas at the Performance Institute. And Macy Chason's made a name for herself. She won the Ultimate Fighter. And I recently found out they didn't sign Pandy Kianzad, who she beat in the finale. I saw Pandy's got a fight overseas. But uh, first-round win over Gina Mazzani. Uh back in March last month. And quick turnaround for her, taking on Sarah Morris in Ottawa. Big favorite as Sarah Morris's opponent. Uh, Leah Letson got injured, unfortunately, in camp and uh, is not able to make the walk. And uh, Sarah Morris coming off back-to-back losses to Talita Bernardo and uh, Lucia Pudilova after getting a great armbar victory, a very, very slick armbar victory at UFC 215 in Edmonton back in September of 2017. Also, Eamon Zahabi, a friend of the show, taking on Vince Morales. Only a minus 165 favorite. I found that very surprising against Vince Morales uh, in this particular event. Vince Morales, I believe, coming off a loss that he uh, had to Song Yadong back at UFC Fight Night 141, his UFC debut. And he'll take on Eamon Zahabi, who's coming off a loss himself. The last time he fought against Ricardo Ramos back in New York, at UFC uh, 217, I believe it was. And uh, he lost by a crazy spinning back fist in the third round, a fight that he was winning up until that point. And he looks to bounce back from his only professional loss against Vince Morales this coming weekend in Ottawa. His wife gave birth to twins. He's been uh, busy with that, as one can imagine. And then uh, we also have Nordin Taleb getting a, a very short-notice opponent himself against uh, Kyle Prepolek, who's making his debut. He's the uh, BTC super lightweight champion. That's 165 pounds. Siar Bahadur Zada had to drop out due to injury last week, and they found a short-notice opponent in Prepolek for Nordin Taleb. And Taleb's a, a very big favorite in that fight at uh, minus 350. But uh, Prepolek, from what I understand, has very, very good stand-up, very sharp. So he'll take that on short notice and... Uh, 
He was supposed to be facing Mike Santiago, a UFC veteran, and uh, has a win over UFC veteran uh, Cody Fister in his last fight. And then you've got uh, Kyle Nelson, the monster from Huntsville, cottage country in Ontario, taking on Matt Sales. Matt Sales, 7-2 and two as a professional, coming out of a loss to Shaman Rice in his UFC debut, but uh, earned a UFC contract at the Contender Series with a, yon, a win over Yazan Haje in a first-round ground-and-pound situation. Then Arjun Buller, who I mentioned earlier, has an open workout Thursday night in Canada. He's taking on the Kraken, undefeated. Juan Adams, another uh, Dana White Contender Series alum. That's going to be a great one. I'm look- greatly looking forward to that particular bout. And then you've got uh, Mitch Gagnon against the Cole Train, Cole Smith. Gagnon coming off a pretty big layoff against the newcomer, Cole Smith, getting the fight also on short notice. As Gagnon was supposed to face Brian Kelleher, Cole Smith last competed in January, a five-round bout at Bantamweight for the BFL Bantamweight Championship. He won in the first round via rear naked choke against Tyler Wilson. It was 5-1 and one at the time. He's been making some noise in the regional scene, lived out in Thailand for a while, but I'll let him tell you about that as he joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. I'm now joined by Cole Smith, the Cole Train. Everybody's getting aboard the Cole Train, heading into UFC Ottawa. It's your debut. You're the BFL Bantamweight Champion. Probably vacated at this point because you're now with the UFC. But you'll be facing Mitch Gagnon. You'll have a, a pretty big size advantage over him. He's 5'5", five, five, you're 5'11". Five, Are you looking for that to be a big advantage for you uh, in this fight? Yeah, I mean, of course I am. I, you know, I, I try to play the long-range game with most of my opponents. I mean, you know, like you said, I'm 5'11". I'm on the, I'm on the higher, uh, the taller scale. So, yeah, I like to I like to be long. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very physically strong for... Uh, as tall and thin as I look, I'm, I'm very physically strong. So, you know, range, game, grappling, it doesn't really matter. I, I'm, I'm good anywhere. Now, at the time of this recording, uh, UFC and Sunrise hasn't happened just yet, but uh, Corey Sanhagen versus John Lineker is going to be a pretty similar uh, fight in terms of build. Are you going to be keeping an eye on that one just to see what that range looks like? You know, I've heard tons about him, and, and, and I've heard nothing but really, really good things. Uh, you know, I know he's a big, tall um, bantamweight, just like myself, so I'm kind of rooting for guys like that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep, be keeping my eyes out. Yeah, we saw Brandon Davis uh, compete recently as well, moved down from 45, and he's, uh, he's 5'11", very big for the division, and he had some success in his uh, bantamweight debut in the UFC. Uh, you just got back from Las Vegas. You were spending some time at the UFC Performance Institute. What did you learn from being there, and who are some people you ran into? Uh, yeah, yeah, man, being at the PI is just an amazing experience. I mean, I mean they cater totally towards the fighter, you know, uh, you know, strength and conditioning, massages, dietary needs. Anything I need, they're on top of it. Um, I got some real, real good training in. Uh, Gustavo, he, he's the uh, Combates phantomweight champ. I was training with Joseph Benavidez. You know, he, he gave me tons of confidence, tons of help. T- great look for my opponent, you know, smaller, faster kind of guy. I did some work with Jeremy Kennedy as well. You know, he, he was giving me as many pointers as he could. So I, I was really surrounded by a really good team, really good fighters. You actually ended up in Thailand for quite some time, thanks to Jeremy Kennedy. Walk us through that story. Yeah, uh, you know, anytime I can mention Jeremy, you know, I have to throw his name out. The guy, he's an absolute stud and most professional guy I've ever met. Um, you know, I, I, I've been kind of trying to uh, follow his career. Um, years ago, we were both warming up in the cage, you know, for Battlefield Fight League. I've heard nothing but good things about him. I heard he was training in Thailand at the time. So uh, we were just kind of warming up before our fights, and I mentioned to him as a joke, hey, man, I'll be out there in Thailand. You know, I'll, I'll come out and train with you. And, uh, you know, the next day he found my number. He sent me a message, asked me if I was serious. He would get me a, a sponsorship over at Team Quest in Chiang Mai. And uh, I jumped on board, and two weeks later I was out there living out there for two and a half years, and it was probably the best experience of my life. And what did you get the most out of that experience? What what do you think you got from being there that you wouldn't have got from being home in Squamish? Um, learning how to be a professional probably it was, the, was the main thing, you know, training twice a day, every day, six days a week. There's no distractions out there. You know, there's, there's no, I'm tired, I'm sore. You know, you better have a good excuse why you're not training that day. So, 
you know, you really had to learn how to grind, put your head down and just grind. Uh, another thing was, uh, you know, I, I took a lot of Muay Thai fights out there, as many fights as I could. And the interesting thing about that is you don't know who you're fighting. You know, I, I would ask my coach or my trainers, hey, can you get me a Muay Thai fight? And they'll, yeah, yeah, no problem. You're fighting next Wednesday. Who am I fighting? We have no idea. <laughs> so you just kind of go to the arena. You know, you ask who you're fighting. They point out some guy on the other side of the gym or uh, of the stadium. You know, you size him up. Yeah, it looks like a good fight. And you guys fight. You have no idea how many fights he's had. He could have 100. He could have none, you know. Uh, so it was always super interesting. It was a great experience. What's the craziest thing you saw out there? The craziest thing I saw... Man, I, you know, aside from eight people on a scooter with with the mom holding the baby and the dog on the back, you know, every day there was something crazy, you know what I mean? There's always something to do out there. You know, uh, I went to the alligator farm and I kissed an alligator on the mouth. That was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Did you see anybody yeah. kick down any trees? I didn't see any trees, but I got a lot of messages. Yo, hey, send me a message of you, or send me a video of you kicking down a banana tree. And I'm like... You know, and those are most of the fans who don't really know what they're talking about. And I'm like, dude, that was Buakau kicking down that tree. You know, I don't think most ties are just walking around booting down trees. That was one of the, the hardest ties in the world. So, yeah, I wasn't kicking down any trees. <laughs> I heard that they never brought saws to Thailand just because everybody's walking around kicking trees down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's, everybody's shins are made of uh, <laughs> our, our, our knives, basically, out there. So... You know, they do a lot of kicking. Man. The Muay Thai fighters, they are legit. They work extremely hard, man. Uh, I got nothing but respect for the Muay Thai fighters out there. It's a tough sport, that's for sure. You don't play Muay Thai. You know, there's kids as young as five fighting, you know, so it's pretty interesting. This was a short-notice opportunity. Uh, Brian Kelleher was supposed to face Mitch Gagnon. So how did this come about? How did you end up being the one to get the call? Um. I signed with uh, Team Iridium and Jason House about a month prior to me signing. And as soon as we signed with them, my brother Casey Smith was assuring me that I was going to be fighting on this card. He told me that there was three bantamweights, uh, three bantamweight fights on the card. You know, and in this game, people get hurt real easy. They, people look for excuses and reasons to, to not fight. So, uh, you know, it was a short notice, but it wasn't really. I was I was on top of my uh, my training, on top of my diet, and I was being prepared. Um, and then again, the guy got hurt or injured, and Jason House phoned my brother Casey. I was on my way to the gym, and and he just let me know, hey, you better step it up today because you're you're going to be fighting in about three weeks here. So that's he, how it came. He, about. he knew to accept the fight. He knew you were going to be like, nah, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> no, no, you, you got. If the UFC bangs on your door, you better answer, man, because you get one chance. If you want it, you better take it. It doesn't matter if it's short notice or not. You better take it. And you mentioned Jason House. Uh, how much do you think it helps fighters, especially ones that are undefeated like yourself, that are making a name on the regional scene, to have uh, a manager that is is very well known in the circles of the UFC? You know, a lot of people sometimes have their friends manage their career, and that's always you know not off, often the best approach. Yeah, most people think that they can get away with it. You know, they're, they, they kinda, they're they kind of a little bit cheap. You know, they don't want to pay the extra little bit of money to have a manager. But but signing with them was, was, the, was the best thing I ever did. I mean, I headed out to, uh, when I headed out to Vegas, um, one of Team Meridian's other, other uh, managers, um, Lance, he picked me up from the airport. He drove me to his house. He gave me a place to stay for 10 days. He drove me to every training session I had to be at. He made all the very difficult things very easy on me. And, I mean, just that alone was worth what I'm paying them. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I definitely recommend signing with a manager. And, you know, you'll get signed real soon, especially if you're with Iridium. Well, uh, Mitch Gagnon's a very tough guy. He doesn't have any wins right now over current UFC fighters. He's at a two-and-a-half-year absence. Are you looking to take advantage of that, that kind of downtime that he's had? He, you know what, man, this guy, he's a professional. He, he's been in the, in the game for a long time. He's had more UFC fights than I've had professional fights. So uh, I'm not taking him lightly. He's going to come in ready. He's going to come in good shape. And, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm expecting the best Mitch Gagnon. So, so people that are unfamiliar with you, what, what should they look out for in this fight? What are you going to bring to the table that they might not have seen from another fighter? <clears throat> uh, to be honest, I mean, you know, everybody's seen everything in the UFC at this point. Everybody's exciting, you know, but I, I think I bring a little bit more uh, uh, charisma to the bantamweight division. You know, most of those guys are a little bit boring. They're not very exciting on the mic. They're not exciting to listen to. 
So uh, I think uh, people are going to be stoked once I'm behind the mic and once I'm talking a little bit. I mean, my fighting is super exciting. I have all finishes except for one. Most of them are in the first round. But on the other side, you know, you got to bring some some charisma to the game or else or else you're just going to be uh, put in the back. You know what I'm saying? So I'm hoping that that means you have a name in the back of your head for if you win this fight, somebody that you're going to call out. Am I right on that front or am I, you know? Uh, you know what? I take, one, I take one fight at a time. I'm going to see how this happens. I, I'm hoping that uh, they announce a card in, in Vancouver uh, once this fight's over and I'm, I'm all healed up. And then I'll, I'll talk to my brother Casey and we'll, we'll figure out uh, the next the next opponent that would be a good matchup for me. And from but what I understand, right now, yeah, Vancouver's strongly on the radar from what I understand for this year. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. I mean, I've just heard rumblings about it right now. I haven't really heard anything official. But, you know, I'm crossing my fingers here, so. All right, well, it's uh, great meeting you, uh, Cole. We have not spoken before, and I look forward to meeting you in person in Ottawa next week. Uh, thank you for doing this. Thank you very much. I appreciate the phone call. That was Cole Smith. Wow, a very fascinating individual. Enjoyed speaking with Cole very much. So, again, I will uh, tell you to go to tsn.ca slash UFC for our coverage of UFC Ottawa this whole week. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of great stuff, so please check that out. You can also get on their Instagram account on TSN, as well as uh, following me on social media, at Aaron Bronstetter. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you already do. I'm hoping to do some stuff on Instagram. I need to get into it. I need to, I need to make it a priority, as I always say. But I'll be there as of uh, tomorrow night. Going to make the drive and uh, enjoy my time in Ottawa. I haven't been to Ottawa for a prolonged period of time in a long, long time, since before I was married, which was a long time ago. I went to the Canadian War Museum last time I was there, and I would highly recommend it if you're coming to visit the city of Ottawa. The Canadian War Museum is phenomenal. I might go back, actually. I really liked it there. I learned a lot. And then next week, I'm going to go to Brazil. I've never been to South America before, and I'm going to head to Brazil for UFC 237. I can't wait. My grandmother is born in Rio de Janeiro. So I get to retrace my roots. It's actually quite interesting. So I'm going to that card in Rio de Janeiro next week, which is where my grandmother was was born because her family fled Poland to um, elude the Nazis in the Holocaust. And then the week after, I'm going to Rochester, New York, where my grandfather went after the Holocaust, where he, where he decided to live. They said, you know, where do you want to live? He said, New York. And they sent him to Rochester, New York. So I get to go to both those places and kind of retrace some of my roots in back-to-back weeks, which I'm really, really quite excited about. I think that's really going to be quite the experience to get to see where my grandmother lived for a lot of her formative years growing up and then where my grandfather lived after uh, he was uh, escaped and uh, he was freed at the end of World War II. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to uh, enjoy those two cities. And uh, make sure you check out our coverage on tsn.ca slash UFC. We're going to uh, have a lot going on. But next week, I don't know if we're going to have a podcast. I'm going to see what I can do from Brazil, see if I can get something sent. And uh, I'll probably use that to talk a little bit about how Brazil's going and what it's like there. And you get to kind of hear about what the city's like from my perspective. That's what I'm hoping to provide. I'm, I should also have some interviews from Media Day if I get there on time. My flight lands at 8 a.m., and media day starts at, I think, like 10.30 a.m. So should be okay. And I'd like to go and uh, talk to the different fighters there and hopefully get you some interviews from there. So I'm going to try to get that to you, a podcast next week. No, no promises, but see what I can do. The week after, however, I don't think I'm going to have a podcast. But we'll see. I always say it, and then I end up doing one because it's fun. So thanks to those tuning in. Appreciate it. And until then... Adios, amigos. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.